Today's guest is Charles Master of Master Wines. Welcome. Happy Thursday and happy food and wine, everybody. I know. I love it. It's so nice to have you here. How have you been? Very well. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here with you. And I've been doing okay, actually. Thank you. Good. And so tell me all about your wine story. Start from the beginning. It's quite a long one. I'll start with my mom and dad. They met when they were children. Um, My father was a brewer. And he owned several pubs and a brewery company that made the beers. And my mom, her father was his banker. And one oh. day he, why don't you invite your, you know, the family over and we'll have a meal. And so they were like six and seven, I think, when they first met. They had a, a love of strings. So my mom played the violin. My dad played the guitar. Nice. They both played the piano. So their love of music uh, blossomed into a teenage love affair. And w- when they fell in love, they both lo- loved food and wine. And my mom wanted to become a a famous French chef and wanted to work in a Michelin star restaurant in France, which in those days, if you were a woman, there was no way you could do that. Just like you couldn't be a lawyer or a pilot either. My mom and dad, uh, against their family's wishes, went to France. My mom went to Cordon Bleu in Switzerland and my dad stayed in Lyon and worked stages at several different top producers in the Côte d'Iron. And right. he ended up writing a, bu- a book called The Wines of the Code Rhone by Melvin I Master. And- I love I love wines from the Rhone too. That's so exciting. So just really quick back up. Your parents are from the UK? Yes. My mom's where? Scottish and Irish and my dad is uh, uh, English. Very good. And where in the UK where did they meet? My mom uh, is from Dorset and my father is from Surrey. I've been to and Dorset. So they, and Surrey. they met in my grandfather's big old house uh, when they were little kids in Surrey. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And so they went on to France, and then what happened? So they went on to France, and my mom got her degree at the Cordon Bleu in Switzerland and came back with my father. And they actually ended up, you know, putting that book together. And mm-hmm. my mom finally, uh, after going to the door at uh, Bocuse's restaurant about 27 times in three months, mm-hmm. finally, they were like, come on in and peel those potatoes. And so <laughs> you can wash in- dishes. <laughs> peeled, peeled potatoes and peeled onions and ended right. up became, growing a great friendship with Bocuse, of course, flirting him with flirting with him a lot. Yeah, um, it blossomed. And my mother actually ended up being one of the first females to work in that kitchen. And during that time, my father was starting to import French Beaujolais from Georges Duberf uh, to America. Wow. And it wasn't doing that well. But my mom was like, you know, with Julia Childs doing so well and French food booming, this is back in the early 60s. You know, why don't we put Bocuse's name on Duberf's wine? And of course, that worked great. My mom and dad came to America with Bocuse and Duberf, and they did wow. these wine dinners around America back in the 60s. And, and that's when my mom and dad met a lot of the people in the industry in America. Sure. And made, it made George Duberf a household name for anybody who doesn't know the wine brand. It's everywhere. Yes. But it wasn't. And, you know, it's like every other wine brand. It just takes someone to just build that brand and make it a household name. And apparently they did that. I think well, also their love of food and wine and of, of each other and of people that were in the industry, people that were surrounded, like the farmers, the chefs, you know, the winemakers and everybody in between, including the farmers, uh, were like the people that they loved and they breathed. And and like in our family, you know, water is like wine and oxygen was like food. So it was a really big part of our lives. And I think 
during that time, my parents, they ended up making quite a bit of money through that importation business. And they ended up buying a house in Provence. Okay. Um, and that's where we met a lot of the contacts that we use today to make the Le Charmel wines that we're making. I saw um, that. I saw that on your page. And so where do you, where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, the first uh, seven months in England, and then we moved to Aix-en-Provence in France. Mm-hmm. And so I lived in France. My first language was French. Um, we were there until I was about four years old, and then we moved to America. My father at that time, when I was born, was also buying futures in Bordeaux and selling them to American, like wealthy Americans. Mm-hmm. And in the early 70s, there was the oil embargo. And so my father had all this mortgage on his house for all these expensive wines. And all of a sudden, nobody wanted to buy them. So he lost the house. And this was the first time my parents lost everything. And we moved to America, the land of opportunity to start a new life, you know, very poor and ended up in Florida for, you know, six or seven months. And then ended up in Denver, Colorado, where my father worked for Dionysus. And my mom opened up two restaurants and a cooking school surrounded by the French concept of fine cuisine. So it was called, um, uh, sorry, it was called uh, Dudley's and Fleury's were the two restaurants that she opened up in the, in the mid seventies in Denver, Colorado with, with Blair Taylor, who now owns Barolo Grill in Denver, Colorado. Um, And then they, that did really well and successful for them. And they met this wonderful guy called Tom Jordan, who was in the oil and gas business in Colorado. And, he loved my mom's cooking and he loved my dad's sommelier wine, positive, charming accent and everything and said, hey, I'd love to do a, a wine, a French wine with you guys. If you were interested in coming and helping me build this wine, I'm, I want to do a wine. And this was Tom Jordan. Mm-hmm. And so my dad said, well, if you hire my wife as the chef, we'll move to California. And within two years, we moved to California. My father was the marketing director at Jordan Winery. Wow. And my, my mom was the chef at Jordan Winery. And we did that. Wow. Probably- until 19, I want to say 82-ish. And during that time was when Mel and Janie met Jonathan Waxman at Michael McCarthy's restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they talked and said, let's do a restaurant in New York City. And that's when Jams was born, uh, which was one of the top restaurants in the 80s in New York City. And I worked in the kitchen there. So wow. Bobby Flay was like a little pimple-faced uh, Irish kid from the Bronx or Brooklyn back in those days and worked as a prep cook. And so he was okay. one of the people that helped me learn how to cut a chicken. And of course, you know, Jonathan Waxman was the mentor and I was just like a bus boy, you know, help guy. Oh yeah. I just, I wanted to be wherever my parents were. And so I just wanted to work in a restaurant and it was amazing time, the eighties in New York city. Oh my gosh. That was a magical time of our lives. And then um, during that time is when my mother and father uh, started the wine label towards, I think towards about six years after that they opened up uh several other restaurants including jams london mm-hmm. um and, and then kind of it all fell apart for some reason and my parents started Le jamel which was the first wine label that they started together and this was bound the same same time as reserve saint martin martin sinkoff's wines and we were one of the first two people to do single varietal wines from the languedoc and <laughs> Le Jamel came from the name Janie and Mel put together. And that's ah, a brand nice. that's still out in the market. It does really I well. Saw I saw it on your page. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and then um, from then, uh, my, that's when my father and I started working together. I actually moved back to France. Um, I skipped the part, actually, when I was a teenager, instead of going to college, when my father was doing Jams London in uh, England, I was at boarding school. Okay. And um, I unfortunately, after about a year and a half, got kicked out of boarding school for drinking vodka. 
But, you know, in, in our family, my father, I was thought I was going to get in trouble. My father came, came to the, you know, my parents had some issues with their relationship and my father came all the way to England and I thought he was going to be really mad. And he was like, ah, don't worry, alcohol. It's one of those things. You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And um, we actually uh, uh, ended up, you know, talking about if I want to go to college. And I said, you know what? I want to do what you do, dad. I want to go to France. And, you know, like a year before when we were in New York City, we were having dinner at the Quilted Giraffe and my father saw a friend of his, this guy, Alexis Lachine, who he met when he was writing the wines of the Cote d'Aron. Mm -hmm. Alexis was writing the Encyclopedia of Wine. Right. And so he came over, he was having lunch with Sasha, his son, and I was having dinner with my dad. And, and he's like, yeah, when your son's ready, send him my way. And so they had a quick chat and, you know, there we are fast forward a year later. And I was like, I want to go work for that guy. So I went to work for Chateau Prairie Lachine in 1987 and stayed there until uh, 1990. So I was there for a really bad harvest during the rain of 1987, but then 88, 89 and 90, bam, those were great vintages. And uh, it was really, that's where I learned most about wine Good. through Sasha Lachine, who actually passed away of cancer after two years of me being there. And I got to be one of the pallbearers and carry his coffin and they ripped up 20 of the most important vines next to the railroad tracks at the very top in uh, in Margot. And that's where his body was put. So his oh, his wow. grave is actually in the vineyards of, uh, of Puri Lachine, which unfortunately I think is owned by a Chinese company now or a bank, okay. unfortunately. Um, but then that was really where I got my passion of wine. But, you know, also when I was very young, you know, watching my mom, my dad would go on these trips to uh, America to sell wine and, my mom, being a chef, she would make me put my Lincoln logs down and have to come outside. And I would be, you know, helping her in the garden and she would right. make me smell wet dirt and dried mm -hmm. leaves. And I thought she was totally batshit crazy. Right. And she, my dad would come back and I would say, yeah, dad's mom's acting really weird and making me smell dried leaves and wet this and, and pinching <laughs> tomato leaves and smelling that. And he just smiles really big. And so I guess my mom was training to become a chef. And yeah, that smiley, for that matter, too. <laughs> works really well to become yeah. a winemaker too so that's one of the reasons that you know i love wine so much and it's like being able to smell a blind wine and kind of analyzing it and coming up with you know because of the certain smells if you smell enough wine you can pretty much come up with the grape and find out if it's a hot climate and cold climate and generally uh within five years of the vintage i think i'm really good at that and i love what that's one of my favorite things to do is blind tasting wine so yeah Absolutely. We should do that sometime. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. I haven't that, done it in a while. Um, yeah. I've been traveling a little bit this year, but it is, not to France. Um, yeah. I've been, I was in Sicily twice and then I was in, I was in Napa two weeks ago um, at Atlas Peak. Oh, uh, yeah. The tasting with a friend, um, Wesley Box and a gentleman named Mike, I want to say, who owns Vinrock, which is a Every, you know the the caves are all the all the rage in Napa, and so this gentleman um, Mike built one, and we were there. That was beautiful cool. there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's really pretty up there. It sure is. Um, we had a drone, and we wanted to do some drone work, but it was rainy, so we weren't able to. But we got lots of video. 
it's funny. I know we're, we're like kind of bopping around a little bit here, but when I, I, I sold wine up in the mountains of Colorado, uh, when my daughter was born about 20 years ago, yeah. one of my accounts was the little Nell and Bob Stuckey was the wine buyer. Who's this amazing Psalm. Now he owns Fresca. He's one of the most amazing gentlemen. Nice. And I remember going in there and he would only taste three wines and he would always do them blind. Mm -hmm. And I sold Chateau Moussard back in those days. And so I always yeah. wanted to find a wine that he couldn't <laughs> figure out. And right. that was one of those few wines that, you know, most people think it's Bordeaux. Right. You know, how many Lebanese yeah. This was back 20 years ago. So sure. I know I love the Moussard wines. Hopefully we're going to visit there next year. Yeah. Um, Broadway is an anyway. amazing importer. And that's just one of his, sure one of my favorite wines that they import. Yeah. So Bartholomew was on here. He was one of my first guests on my show. And he's an amazing guy. You, you know, his, uh, my, my sister uh, is the goddaughter of his family. So oh. Michael Brabant and Melvin Master were very close. I've actually did some tastings in the 80s with Stephen Spurrier, where we got to taste large format, uh, second, third, and fourth gross um, wow. of Bordeaux's in a huge tasting when I was like a little teenager in my teens. And, sure. you know, sitting around a little table with those guys, Stephen right. Spurrier, Michael Brabant, and my dad, it was magical. And the way they describe wines, I, I remember uh, Michael Brabant said, we were tasting an 1855 Cas which is one of the longest living wines because it's it's such a tense wine. It takes a long time for it to come around. And and he swirled the wine and it was kind of going brownish a little bit, but he smelled the wine. And he said to my father, this wine is like making love to Marilyn Monroe when she's 79 years old in satin sheets in a dark room. And I was like, wait, dad, what is he talking about? And if you think about it, it's one of those iconic wines, right? And I was like, okay, nice. I get it now. And it's dark, so it's like the wine's a little bit flabby, and there's not a lot of tan and acidity, but it's still it's still got sugar, it's still got alcohol. <laughs> anyway, so it was a really funny way. And then he heard my dad explaining that, and he's like, Charles, there's only two types of women in the world. There are two types of wine in the world, excuse <laughs> me. And he's like, there's wives and there's prostitutes. And I was like, I don't understand. And he's like, well, you know, the prostitute wines are very expensive. They give you a headache. You can smell them coming from a far away. And the wife wants the ones you open up and it has to breathe and they make food taste better. And they'll never give you a headache. And they're never aged in oak for more than 18 months. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I like those wife wines. Anyway, so that's a Francophile for you. You know, I love it. Yeah, well, is a lovely man. And hopefully we're going to have uh, Mark Kuchar on here soon, too. Oh, how fun. Yeah, he's been traveling, oh. but he'll be here soon. So uh, we, we've been sort of covering a little bit of everything, a little, you know, food, food, entertainment, lifestyle and wine and rock and roll. We've got some rock and roll people coming up, too, which is kind of fun. I so do you that. play any musical instruments yourself? I do. I play the guitar, just like my dad. But my dad was much better. He played classical and uh, like uh, Spanish flamingo a little bit. Oh, nice. My father, if you gave him a couple bottles of wine, he always like stuck his lips out a little bit and wanted to be Mick Jagger. <laughs> he would, like, Elvis and Mick Jagger impersonations that were absolutely right. phenomenal. I have some pictures of him playing the guitar with my mom that I think I'll share with you. But sure, they were. Sure. And so do you speak French? I do fluently. I can't read or write very well, but I learned to speak French from Moroccan and Portuguese immigrants in the vineyard and in the shay or the cellars right. of Chateau Prix Lachine back in the 80s. Right. That's great. And so um, it's funny because like when people would ask me, you know, like if I'm trying to explain something in French and I don't know the words, like I don't know the words for mortgage. I just say it's the money you borrow from the bank to buy a house. And they're always like, oh, that's so charming. You're trying so hard. So <laughs> Um, so my vocabulary isn't great, but je parle très bien français quand même. 
There you go. There you go. Well, I spoke French. I'm Quebecois. So when I was little, everyone spoke French around me and we spoke French in the house. But then with a funny accent, though. And what's that? With a great funny accent. Oh, yes, Canada. absolutely. French, you know? And yeah. I can swear in French for sure, because I was sworn I spoke <laughs> it when I was little. Um, but what um but then I went to school and just lost it. And then my generation, my myself and my cousin just lost it completely. So um and, and I speak more Italian and Spanish now. I studied well, Latin cool. though. I studied Latin in school, so that kind of helped me with the Spanish and Italian, but it's hard it's learning Italian having known Spanish. Right. It's funny you like, say that because I told you I spoke French was my first language. Well, <laughs> I came over to America and with red hair, freckles, and an right. English accent, you can imagine how much <laughs> I got my butt kicked and every bully wanted a piece of me. Right. I, I learned how to have an American accent and to blend in pretty quick. Absolutely. And when I was 16, I, I couldn't speak French anymore. I, I knew bonjour and au revoir, and that's sure. it. But I had to go to a, you know the Institut Americain in Aix-en-Provence, and I spent six months trying to relearn the language. Right. And I spent the whole time trying to flirt with, with beautiful women and didn't learn anything. <laughs> so it's really the people that taught me were the vignerons in the France. People in the vineyard. Yeah, it's exactly. funny. I, when I, I, so I worked for MasterChef from Alsace for three years, and when he would speak to his children, I would understand what he was saying. So it's it's a strange thing. I I don't I can't read a single word of Spanish, uh, French. I can say enchanté or things like that, but that's it. But yeah. when I hear it spoken, I it's like that I can comprehend a little bit. So and so like you were saying with the Latin, too, so if there's words you don't know, my mom would just say say it say it with a French accent. Yeah. And it's true. There's a lot of words like intelligent or snack. They're all the same, you know, intelligent, right. snack. Right. Anyway, so exactly. So um, so you live in Maine. How'd you end up in Maine? So uh, my parents live in Rye, New Hampshire, or they lived in Rye, New Hampshire. Uh, my parents passed away two months ago, but I moved out here in 2018 to, to be close to mom and dad. I mean, I run my dad's business and I wanted to be close to him so that we could draw, you know, I'm 20 minutes from his house. So we could just like, hey, you want to have lunch today? Sure. Um, and so, you know, I got some samples in, let's taste these wines. And so it was really made a lot of sense. And we moved here because we're from England and this is New England. So it reminded my mom with the fog and the weather and the cobblestone streets yeah. of England. Yeah, for sure. We, we make wines in France, Italy, and California. So this was right in the middle. So it made a right. lot of sense to be here. And yeah. it's a little bit more livable and affordable than living in New York City. And it's not far, really. Definitely. And like we love, you know, my father and I aren't the kind of people that watch sports. You know, I... I'm an avid gardener. Uh, I like to consider myself a chef. Unless I'm cooking for more than 20 people, then it's drama and it's difficult. Uh, but if it's a group yeah. of people, like 15 fun friends, it's the That's best thing in the world. Absolutely. Having a glass of wine and spending five hours prepping four recipes is one of my things to do. It's great. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's what I like to do too. And so I like the area you're in too. When I worked for Southern, I used to sell spirits down there. So I'd go down and call on the York Harbor Inn and yeah, and like Portsmouth, it's such a great food town. And Kittery, yeah. which is, Kittery is about seven minutes from my house. And Kittery, I mean, for such a small town, there's probably 15 really amazing restaurants in that little tiny town. So, so are you in, what town are you in? Are you in Elliot? Elliot, yeah. Oh, okay, Elliot. Oh, very good. And yeah, um, it's funny. Yeah, there's so much going on. I mean, Portsmouth's a great little town. And there's a new club, too. There's a new jazz club there. Yeah, Jimmy's. Jimmy's yeah uh, so and it's funny because in, in, when I moved here my I have a daughter who's 25 and lives in Colorado and runs her mom and her stepdad's hair salon I'm very lucky I have one of those relationships where the girl I had a baby with is like my sister and best friend and her husband is like a brother I always wanted and never had so I'm very okay. lucky yeah um, and they have three daughters together as well as Annabelle the fourth daughter so there's four girls yeah and um 
but so she actually comes out and visits me quite often. So we actually get to cook and she loves food and wine just like me. And, and gardening is a really big part of our lives as well. So all of that stuff and being close to mom and dad in this area, like with that food scene you were talking about really helps. Sure. Absolutely. And so, and, and, and I'm sorry about your parents. Um, you, you've taken over the business now. Is that what I right? have? But you know, it's funny. My parents have talked since they were, since we were in our twenties about if one of them gets sick, they were going to go together. And so this was kind of like something, and they also had in their, uh, in their will that they did, you know, when they were in their thirties or forties that, you know, if they can't go to the bathroom by themselves or drink their favorite wines or eat their favorite foods or have sex that they don't want to live. Yep. And so Holiday if they life. can't do two of any of those things, they wanted to be put down. <laughs> and so mom got sick about three years ago and my dad took me out for lunch and was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with her. Right. And I was like, I know. And then she ended up getting better. And so I was prepared. And then all, all of a sudden my dad got um, stage four pancreatic cancer and they knew for a year before they told us, they waited till about two months before they went to Switzerland. And so it was so romantic. They went to Switzerland together after six weeks of, of spending all this quality time with magical people, okay. you know, like Eric Solomon that came up and drank a bottle of 1989 white uh, Domaine de Marcou that had imported by Melvin Master and Eric Solomon written on the back label. Oh, wow, so that's amazing. We had some magical times and cried and I got to forgive them and yell at them and love them and hug them. And it was a magical. I don't think anybody could have such a better way very, to. Very, very lucky. Parents very off, lucky. You know. I, yeah. I lost someone very close to me two years ago and I didn't get the chance to do that. And so yeah, so very, very um, lucky to have spent time with them and they'll always be with you. And that's very fortunate. And yes, but I have taken over the business, but. I really couldn't have done what I done. I think my father and I's business couldn't have been what it is uh, now without the Sager family. And Yale Sager, who owns uh, wine cellars, uh, met my father back in the 60s. He was selling German wines in Denver. My dad was selling French wines in Denver. And they hit up a really good friendship. And when my father was doing Le Jamel, he helped my father um, import those wines, uh, you know, because the logistics of importing wine into this country can be quite a handful, getting the, the right code and passing everything through alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, which yeah. crazy, those people know anything about wine, but Labels. yeah, customs yes, all of that. Yeah. and so these magical brothers that have taken over for their father, um, Adam and Jordan, uh, are in this position that I am, where I'm taking over for my parents, he, they're taking over for their parents, great, they're on the importation and building label business. They have about seven or eight labels that they own by themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Wine Cellars does, but they also own 50% of all the labels that my father and I have, have created with them. Of course. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. And are all their labels French? No, they uh, specialize in importing wines from Argentina and Germany and pretty much all over the world, including Australia and New Zealand and everything. So yeah. they're yeah. all over the board. Wow, that's great. They and have about 20... 29 employees around America. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, so you actively are, you're an importer or you're not an, you're not the importer really. You're just, no, I just, I just created, I'm the owner of these labels and partners right. with them for those labels. So right. they're the importer. So uh, yeah, you're thank supplier, God. Really? Yes. I'm the supplier. Yeah. You're the supplier. Oh, and they act as your importer, which is the, how yeah. it legally I would be considered in, in France a negotiant. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. And so are you looking to expand your portfolio at all? Yes. I mean, we've got a couple of cool things in the works that I probably shouldn't talk about, but we definitely wanted to do some other uh, French wines and California wines. Uh, but COVID hit us and we had to put everything kind of on hold until we got some of those restaurant sales back. I mean, I know that 
the wine industry has changed significantly in the last four years. Sure. I think buyers are buying differently. Restaurants are carrying six wines by the glass instead of 26 wines by the glass. And so, and the way people are buying, you know, the general consumer is buying more off the internet instead of right. off stores. And so there's a little bit of shift going on in the market right now. And then state to state, it's all different. I mean, I sold, I sold wine in Massachusetts for about five years and then I came up to Maine and was a consultant. Then I worked for Southern selling spirits in Southern Maine. And then I moved to LA. And when I got to LA, the, the on-premise had just opened up. I'm like, what do you mean you just opened up? They were closed for like a year, which yeah. was like death to half of the restaurants. It was horrible. So the ones that survived were like very apprehensive to buy anything when they opened back up, even if it was like coming into a holiday season, they didn't even, they were really like, yeah, we're sitting on stock. We want to get rid of it. You know, yeah. they were very apprehensive to buy anything. So I find it crazy how some of these importation companies like wine sellers, how do they manage, you know, since prohibition, every single state has different laws and it's oh, like yeah, putting sure. everything in the state's hands, I think is a, a crazy thing, but I know that Texas is like its own country and the laws in each state can be so uh, difficult in, in oh, some ways, you know, so it depends. And in Pennsylvania, so like if you want to buy beer, you have to go to a bar or if yeah. you want to buy wine, you have to go somewhere else. And if you want to buy spirits, you have to go somewhere else. So they used to be like that in Massachusetts where you couldn't buy anything on a Sunday in an yeah. off account. And uh, they, they finally changed that. But yeah, no, I, I think that the whole system, in my opinion, should just be overhauled and federalized, but I, I'm, you know, it's just me <laughs> having sold wine in a different market. Like I was telling you, I sold wine in Ireland and there it's like the wild west. You can go to France and buy two pallets of wine and ship it yourself to a bond and pay $200 for the bonding fee and an yeah. importer's fee, a license or something and stick it in the bond. And then you just pay the VAT when it leaves and that's it. And you can sell it in your shop. So if I owned a retail shop, I could sell my own, you know, uh, or whatever it was that I wanted to sell as needed yeah. when I want. And that's it. So you're competing to sell in that market. You're competing against other people who can buy their own product. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah. you're definitely, definitely wild, wild west. I mean, it, the yeah. fact that some of the biggest, most profitable American corporations are hiding their money in Ireland is I think sickening. To yeah. me. <laughs> Not for long though. I don't think anyway. Hopefully. Hopefully. It's a tax haven at tax. the moment. Yeah. There you go. Pay the taxes, Google and gtne and all that anyway yeah, well, sorry then they have an english-speaking workforce too so it, it's kind of yeah. a yeah it's a, it's a double good um but um so you know yeah. what kind of wine do you like the most i mean you, I, so, you know, it's I think my favorite wine is the wine i haven't had yet right. only because there are so many amazing magical wines out there and yeah. i would be crazy to say that you know, I only want to drink Domaine Tompier white for the rest of my life. I mean, it's one of my favorite wines. I love Cassis white wines for, so Roll or Vermentino. Mm -hmm. um, I like weird funky grapes, um, but like I've been blown away so many times and educated. I'm very humbled in this business. I mean, to know, to think, you know, everything about wine is very, very naive, I think. And, sure. you know, being able to have, you know, people like, you know, Bartholomew and Eric Solomon that, you know, introduced me to these crazy things that I, I, I mean, I had a wine uh, at a restaurant and I was telling Bartholomew about it. And he, he's like, I import that wine. It was from an Island somewhere. That, I mean, it was magical. I think I can't remember. Uh, I'd have to like, you know, right. talk to him about, it, but you know, I'm 54. It's hard for me to remember some things with all the wine I drank, but yeah. it was, I mean, it, it and I think I, it was in a, you know, like a two-star Michelin restaurant. I remember saying to the sommelier who knew my father because this was in New York City and they all knew him because of the restaurant business. And he, I said, look, 
My dad's favorite wine is Merceau and Chassay and Montrachet. So I want something like that, but I don't want to spend more than a hundred bucks. I don't want to spend the five right. or six or seven or a thousand dollar that you guys are. And he's like, you know what, Charles, I got just the thing. And he brought me some weird Hungarian wine that was white, that mm-hmm. was eight barrels that literally smelled like Merceau. I mean, I right. was shocked. I mean, it was, it was, it didn't have the same leanness and it didn't have the same kind of charisma that the, the really good um, single vineyard Merceau does, but it was a really, really cool wine. And the second one we had was was uh, Bartholomew's wine. Mm-hmm. So, but Hungary and what's the other place? Is it Jordan? Not Jordan. Hungary and Georgia. I, I was gonna. Yeah, Georgia's amazing wines, and also like islands like Canary Islands. I've making been to Canary Islands. I've I mean, been crazy good wines there. Yeah, they do. It's volcanic island. It makes sense. I remember my mom saying when I when I got back from three and a half years at Chateau Prairie Lachine, I came to LA. And my mom and dad, you know, had just started, you know, this this Le Jamel company. And I came to work at the wine house, which was in Culver City. And it was one of the biggest retail wine shops in Colorado and in, in uh, California. Right. In LA. Yeah. And I was I was only 20, so I could only be a stock boy. But I knew more about Bordeaux than all the managers because I had just spent three or four years and went to all the great chateaus. And right. Um, I remember my mom expecting this really confident young man. And I was like very humbled. I read all these books. I've spent the last four years of my life just living and breathing food and wine. I just, mom, right. and she's like, why, why are you so stressed? I was like, mom, I, I, I just don't think I'm ever going to know everything. And she just smiled really big. And she's like, you know, Charles, wine is very much like women. You can study all your life and you're never going to figure it out, but it'll make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. And all <laughs> of a sudden I was like, oh my God. You know, this is the most magical industry. and It humbled me. It makes me feel like right. I am constantly learning after literally 48 years of being in the industry. I'm still constantly learning. Um, and that's why I love the weird and the new, the, all the great young people out there that are learning new methods that we probably never even heard of yet. So, sure. yeah. Yep. And the movement towards organics and natural wines and things like that. That's, that's uh, a I'm really very interested in wines from Tasmania just because it's getting so warm in Australia. So I, I really, I, you know, there's a guy in Boston named John Hafferty, if you know who that is. He owns Bin Ends. I and, do know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a great guy. I do, yeah. And I, you know, I pulled out a bottle. I was like, do you have anything from Tasmania? He goes, I have a sparkling. It's delicious. You know, it's like, I'm really interested in in regions that are sort of under, the people aren't don't really know about. But I'm all about showing, you know, wine education and teaching people about things that they may not know about. Because I find with wine sales, People just buy what they know. I drink KJ Chardonnay or whatever it might be. And that's all they drink because that's what they like and they never try anything else. So I'm always trying to get them to try something. <laughs> you know? um, so what's next for you and your business? Is, is this what you're going to, you're just going to continue your, your, your legacy? Yeah. And now? I, one of the things I really want to do, my mom, uh, basically because of the era that she was brought up in, mm-hmm. you know, you basically sacrifice everything for your husband. So, you know, she could have been a really wealthy, famous celebrity chef if she wanted to do that. And she had all the means to do so. But instead, you know, she stood behind Melvin Master and they built restaurants together and they build wine labels together. And she was always kind of behind him. And if you look at pictures of them, she's always looking at him, not the camera. And so if I ever, I think I'm going to do another label and I, I want to do it by, you know, a female winemaker, a female right. farmer. Um, I want the the artwork to be a female, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, to support. I want also like to be in some way that, you know, I could donate a percentage of all the profits of this label to some sort of 
female entity that that helps women because I think my mom taught me a lot growing up that and I see it all the time today um with you know what's happened with Roe versus Wade and all these different things that are going on that my daughter has less freedom than my mom did now is insane right. to me and so like to be able to support support that and having a daughter who's 25 I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult it is for a female to do anything sometimes it's absolutely crazy to me like I, my mother had three kids and was a chef and yeah. did all of this stuff and still my dad got paid more than her yeah. <laughs> like so, so so it's you and your sister and do you have another brother or i have two older sisters and oh. my mom had another son who was born right before me maximilian and he passed away of crib death at like two months old Oh, and so if he didn't die, I probably wouldn't be four. talking to you right now. <laughs> right, 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 right. It would have been four of you. Um, yeah, but I, mean, I, I have a great brother, but he's a brother from another mother. He's, you know, the, he's the stepdad to my, my daughter, Annabelle. His oh, name's okay. He owns a hair salon in Denver, Colorado with his wife, my ex. I love it. Magical so when, people. when you're in Aspen next time, I have really good friends who live in uh, the town that's next to Aspen. Is it Collindale or? Carbondale. 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 Yeah. Yeah, the they song. live in Carbondale, and my friend is the wedding planner for um, the Viceroy. Enough. You know, I was the party and event coordinator at the Caribou Club for about seven years. Right. I'm sure they'd know it. I wouldn't know it, but yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. It's beautiful there. I mean, I love the ocean so much that I can never live far away from it. I need to see it, smell it, taste it. But And so that everywhere I've ever lived has been by the water. Um, yeah. But when though, if I were to pick one place that it was landlocked, it would be Colorado. It's a beautiful place. Definitely it's is. Magical there. Yeah. And so um, I ask all of my guests this, and I'll ask you, what do you love? You know, gosh, I mean, rescue dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love animals, dogs. I mean, there's there's a special kind of love that they give, you know, to their human. Yeah. Uh, and I've had rescues ever since I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. and I just wish that they would last as long as us. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's also... You know, also new music, you know, music has always been very healing for me. Um, I try to to meditate, but part of what I think saves me and makes me who I am is food and wine. Like That's if I'm having a really stressful day, like when my parents passed away, you know, for weeks, I, I, I would, when I was sad, I would, I'm making lasagna today and I would make a really a yeah. three hour or boeuf bourguignon or yeah. osabuco, or I would just, you know, start cooking and, you know, drink half a bottle of wine and yeah, you know, That's my therapy too. <laughs> come, yeah. Coming up with new recipes too, like, you know, adding, you know, tarragon to a dish that you wouldn't normally have tarragon with and just fun stuff like that. It's just, there are so many different cool combinations um, of ingredients when it comes to food, just like with wine. I mean, I've always wanted to blend some weird grapes like Gewürztraminer and Syrah. Like, I think that would be a really cool blend if you did the right percentages and they came Absolutely. from the right places. It would be a really fun wine, kind of like, you know, Kornos, where they put like a little bit of Viognier with their Syrah. Absolutely. And so one day. <laughs> one day you'll get there. My, and so, have father, you been to Sicily? I, 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 because my new, we're going to do a video on Sicily pretty soon, but have you been there yet? I have. And, you know, most of the time it's just a magical place. It, it, it tends to be a little bit too hot down there for an English freckly guy like me, but <laughs> my, uh, two degrees there now. Yeah. My daughter or my daughter's mom is from Calabria. And so oh, we nice. go there a lot as well. You know, they're building a bridge from Calabria to Messina. Yeah. And they're building yeah. it next year, which will be very cool because there'll be a direct link to the continent without having to take a ferry. Really cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I do, but France is really, as much as I love Spain and Italy, um, because of my background and where, you know, like my, when you say my favorite, what my favorite wines are, as much as it is the wine I haven't had yet, Bordeaux right. is really where my heart lies. I spent almost four years there. Mm -hmm. um, if it's the right vintage, um, I mean, even 87 could be the right vintage if you're drinking it like in the early 90s, right? <laughs> right. Because those wines were like watered down and kind of weak. But like in, in some of the great chateaus that produced an 87 vintage, those wines were really phenomenal after about four or five years, where usually you couldn't even drink those wines for 25 years. So, for yeah. Sure. And so do you have a song for us today? A song? Yes. Um I didn't bring it. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can just tell me because I'm going to play it after this. So, yeah, um, it would be uh, No Quarter from Led Zeppelin. Okay. It's funny because my guest this week played No Zeppelin. So it's a it's a, a Led Zeppelin duo. I love it. It's this week and next week. It's fantastic. It's funny. I, I was going to pick because um, my father's favorite song, but I thought, you know, I'll pick one of my favorite songs. But oh, my, good. Dad, good. My, my dad, I, I would have played... Uh, um uh monkey man from rolling stones that's a really good one too. i love that album black and blue and uh, you yeah. know mick bagger was my dad's idol and i've got an I old friend from bar harbor named monkey woman it's a long story but it's always I love it. I love harbor it. stories yeah and so um what here's your song but before that just really quick where would people find your wines in maine so there's a great little store in Kittery called Golden Harvest. There's okay. also one in York called The Clown. What about my whiny um, sister? She's my favorite person in the world. I love her. She's amazing. She's yeah. they do incredibly well at all their places. And yeah. so they do quite well. But, um, you know, nowadays, I think that if you go to your local little wine shop that's owned locally and ask them, you know, if you really enjoy my wines and you taste them, I th I would say take a picture and and show that wine, yeah. wine buyer or the the owner of the shop, like please buy this wine. And is and your wine being sold in Portland, like with Jacques or anybody like that? Jacques yes. or yeah, okay, yes, good. they are. Yeah, all right, that's yeah. old port wine. And old we make twenty eight different wines, and so out of those, you know, there's a handful of them. Right. So you, can, yeah, Fantastic. as much as I would love everyone to sell all my wines, it's just not. <laughs> there's yeah. not enough. Yeah. It's lovely to meet you. Here is your song, and thank you very much. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Have it was a, a pleasure day. meeting you. I look forward to having some food and wine with you. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm in Portland. I'm right here. Talk to you I'll soon. I'll be up there a couple weeks. I'll definitely. Oh, yeah, let me know too, because I'm right in town. We'll have some food and wine together. Thank you so much. Good. All the best. Hang on. Yamo. Okay. Bye.